Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Quiet on the set. Jesus declares that on occasion, a storm will come that tests whether our practices are built on a rock or upon the sand. As we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, we unpack five shifts the church must make to ensure our foundation is on the rock. All right, so we are back in this series of making these necessary shifts to survive in a COVID-19, post-COVID world as we go into the future. I don't mean actually survive. I mean, what does it mean for the church to survive? Well, actually, I mean, <laughs> that's, a, that's an angle of it, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about these shifts that we need to make uh, for the church that will help us as we go forward. So this week, we are going to be discussing our ideas on the shift of more programs to intentional disciple-making environments. So in season one of the Disciples Made podcast, we went hard after this definition of an intentional disciple-making environment. We came at all the different angles, um, and so... We can go back over those uh, briefly as we talk about this today, just to, to do a refresher. But the first thing I think we need to do just to get us in the flow here is to, if we're going to talk about moving from programs to IDEs, is kind of get into the definitions of that. What's the difference, Brian, between a program and an intentional disciple-making environment? There's probably a number of ways you can come at this, but the, the, the one that makes the most sense to me to consider is kind of like that that phrase that a, a square is always a rectangle, but a rectangle is not always a square. An intentional disciple-making environment is a very defined uh, experience, as you just said. We spent, you know, five, ten weeks unpacking that. Uh, a program can be an intentional disciple-making environment, but generally a program is something that is on its own. It's a standalone experience that's provided uh, in churches or other organizations in order to accomplish a particular purpose, but it may not be an integrated part of the church's mission to multiply disciples. Uh, if you've ever kind of uh, considered what Stephen Covey has said, begin with the end of the, in mind, uh, what is that end that you have in mind? And does that particular experience help people get there? If it doesn't, it's a program. It's a value, but it's not an IDE. An IDE is always intentional about being a part of a process to get God's people to a particular end. I don't know if this is a provocative question or not, but just to kind of push the button here a little bit. Are you saying that most people don't know what their programs are achieving? My take on it, having led in large churches for a long time, there used to be almost a sense of what I would call mission around programs. I was a part of a large movement called Purpose Driven, like you were, Brian. Right. And we talked about how programs were all like hooks in the water. And there was actually encouragement to diversify because every program could potentially connect with a legitimate need uh, in your community. And so I think there's something missional in the impetus of that. But the dark side of what happened is a lot of churches begin to feel like this tangled web of programs. It also um, began to create, I think, a deeper and deeper consumeristic relationship with people. Like I, I began to notice like by the late 90s when people were quote unquote church shopping, it would almost immediately go to like, what are your programs? Do you have this program? Yeah. Do you have this program, that program, yeah, this program? That, this one and, last and you'd feel great. It's like, yeah, we do. And yeah. actually we have another 30, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then right. people look and go, 
this is a great church. Yeah. Like it literally became the thing that you were measuring the success of your church. How many different programs do we have that seem to be meeting legitimate needs? So I want to validate the heart behind that. What I began to see was it felt very complex. It wasn't actually getting to the number one mission of, are we actually making disciples who can make disciples? And it began to become exhausting as a church leader. And then it felt eventually very distracting to the people that we were trying to help. So then what happened is guys like Andy Stanley came out and said, less is more. Uh, There was a book called Simple Church that was really popular. And then we made a shift to, okay, we're only going to have four programs. And that really hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Like uh, people felt like, I'm super invested in this thing. I have ownership and now you're cut, you're coming in and you're shutting it down. Yeah. Remember that phrase, sacred cows, you know, we got to slaughter some sacred cows. So almost all of them were programs. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of that, at least for me, you know, by this would have been mid two thousands, it was like, okay, we're doing less, but I don't actually think we're doing more. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're still not getting the job of making disciples done maybe i phrased the question wrong i asked are you saying that most people don't know what their programs are achieving but i think based on what i heard you saying with like we knew what each program was sort of doing like this program is for this demographic or for this group of people or for this passion point or something like that i think what i hear you're saying is we don't know what these programs are collectively doing together. That's, that's the bigger question. I certainly didn't. I mean, I can't judge anybody else on the call, but I can certainly let you know that I never considered all of the programs that we were currently using or could be using as a part of a whole process. Like, let me give you an example. Alpha is one of the programs that I regularly encourage people to consider, but I don't encourage it for leadership development. I don't encourage it for, you know, learning to, you know, die more daily. I encourage it more at the explore, the top end of the funnel for people to consider because it's not a bunch of teaching. It's a lot of communication and dialogue, giving people the freedom. So it's a great tool in the beginning. Let me back up perhaps, Brian, and just kind of share the dilemma that I had when I got to Westside Family Church. I was the next, I was brought on as the groups guy. We had 120 something groups going. And I remember they had given me uh, the next steps process. They had said, we want you to come in and develop this, this, this next step thing. And, and the four phases of spiritual formation that they had already delineated, which came out of the reveal study done by Willow a number of years ago, were seeker, believer, follower, leader. And I looked at those four steps and I thought, well, if I've got to get a hundred percent of our people up to leader, it seems to me that I need to make, make sure that I know how to put all of our current environments that we have, disciple-making environments, whether they are intentional or not, TBD to be determined, you know, but where do they fit? Well, Alpha fit at Seeker. Uh, most small groups fit at Believer. We didn't have anything for follower and leader. It seems to me we've got to make sure we have an environment that's intentionally helping people move from one phase of spiritual maturity to the next with all of the things we have. And if we have programs, we need to know where they fit and how they lead to the next stage. You're saying a couple of things that are prompting some questions that I think can guide the conversation as far as like going a little further on that idea of understanding where your programs fit. Like we should definitely explore that idea for a minute. 
My guess is a lot of people probably assume, though, that the small group program I just did air quotes. Nobody you can did. see it. I did. They were, that was good. <laughs> they were great air quotes. <laughs> no, um, the, the pregnant pause cues yeah. in the listener's mind. Air quotes. Air quotes. Air quotes. Um, so I think most pastors that are over-directing small groups assume, though, that that fits at the follower category. Why are you putting it just at the believer place? How, why does that not move people, or how has that not moved well, I probably used the qualifier there of, you know, small groups as a whole probably fit there, but they, depending on the leader, they would fit anywhere. Like I was a part of a men's group one time that was all leaders. Uh, so it would really fit more up at leaders. But in general, when I think structurally for a church, I'm going to more leverage the small group model, like the open-ended smorgasbord, op- you know, option thing, or whether you do the weekend service follow-up thing, it's a first step that people can move on into follower and believer. And I've got to put the entry ramp at the lowest, uh, you know, phase of development so that everybody can onboard at that time. Yeah. We, we talked about that before the small groups typically are organized around assimilation and community. And so it doesn't really activate people into the lifestyle of a disciple or disciple maker. It really provides an environment where they hope people make friends and then they get content. One of the fundamental differences, programs typically are there to help people find a little community and get a little more content Yeah, that's focused on a particular niche. And so the, the problem isn't quote unquote programs, it's how the programs are designed. And that's why we spent most of the first season talking about the five ingredients of an intentional disciple-making environment, because you can actually change a program into an IDE. We've added uh, the habits to our alpha groups, um, the ones that we recommend. You know, We've added these different components to anything, volunteer teams, et cetera, all the way through. Exactly. So I think you know, one practical step, just for those that are listening, uh, this might be something you're stumbling on, but one of, one of the practical steps you could walk out of this podcast today is like, just use seeker, believer, follower, leader as as a starting point and examine the current programs you have to see where gaps are. I'm, a, I'm kind of putting a question mark on that because I'm... I mean, you're actually describing something that I do when I go coach folks. You know, there's been a growing number of churches asking, help us come in, you know, and evaluate our current disciple-making model and, and help us tweak it. And so I, I, I kind of uh, moved on beyond the seeker, believer, follower, leader for a number of different reasons. And, and, and Disciples Made's recommended funnel, so to speak, is explore, develop, influence. And uh, perhaps at some point we can revisit, you know, the why behind that change. But people are either exploring the faith, developing in the faith, or influencing with their faith. And uh, we want to help move people, uh, 100% of God's people, all the way into the influence, like bringing to bear God's love and transforming grace to the world. And so that's just a huge piece of what we do. But one of the things I I put up on the board when we first get in there is a big funnel with Explore up top. And usually, if you're a seeker-oriented church, the weekend service goes up there. And then develop and then influence. And I ask them to take, what are your top 10 biggest disciple-making efforts? And then let's plug them in on the funnel. And guess where they all go? Explore. Or the beginning of develop. And they realize, this is why we have no leaders. Or if you have a church that isn't very seeker-oriented, everything fits right in the middle of the pie. 
in, in the middle of the funnel. It's all helping people develop, but we're not reproducing leaders and we're not having anybody that's exploring the faith coming in and checking things out. And they see where the multiplication line breaks down. Mm-hmm. That's good. So it's so such a critical piece. And then we basically say what needs to be refined, what needs to be replaced and what needs to be, you know, reaffirmed. Mm. Yeah. You know, those three categories. It, and now is such a critical time to do that. The gift of COVID is it, it is a massive reset, yeah. you know, for the church. And we've used this analogy before. It's from Alan Hirsch. You know, the church is, if you're learning to play chess and you're learning from a master, they'll take the queen off the board so that you're forced to learn how to use all the other pieces. And the weekend service and church programs are the queen. It's like most pastors have become experts in those things. And there's all these other dimensions of what it means to be the church that need to be explored. And right now, COVID is revealing the fragility of a dependency on the weekend services and a highly programmatic model. Because for most churches, um, those things have been dramatically diminished in both their reach and if they're honest their impact during COVID. Whereas people that are leading IDEs will actually be reporting that COVID has increased their impact. I believe that. It certainly happened with with the ones that I've been leading. Yeah, because COVID's created this liminal space that suddenly reveals what's eternal, what's not eternal. It creates anxiety and fear, challenge. All of those things are the best environmental kind of factors for disciple making. That's why the church is always shining the brightest in persecution. Um, IDEs shine brightest in persecution. And so if you're a church leader, I say this with real tenderness, you know, if COVID has revealed the fragility of your weekends and your programs, you know, dust yourself off. Don't give in to the depression or the lie that you are the success of your weekends or your programs. You're not. You're a beloved son or daughter of the king. And it's time to dig into what an ID is. It is time to go back. If you've not listened to the whole first season, you should go back and listen to the whole first season because you can do this. It's not complex, but it is a different way of thinking. It is a paradigm shift, and paradigm work is slow work. Um, and we're also, we're here. We want to help. We want to serve you. We literally exist to help you win in disciple making. So reach out to us. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk. In light of the the podcast today, the, what we started with was that we need to make a shift from programs to disciple intentional disciple making environments. And what I hear you saying is you have to think stepwise. So like that's the piece. <laughs> How do you make the shift? Well, one way is to start thinking stepwise. So. What was what was the thought process for you as you went from seeker, believer, follower, leader, explore, develop, influence? How do you begin to think stepwise? Because I think that's the that's the pathway to to make the shift. Uh, yeah, I mean, one like the visual was so powerful for all of the folks that I've worked with when they plug all of their disciple making environments into one of those phases. Then you have to ask which of those really does get the job done. 
That's very important. Which one gets the job done of helping uh, people that are exploring actually become followers of Jesus? And which things really do categorically help followers of Jesus become influencers uh, for the sake of Jesus? And that's not an upward mobility thing. Let me just say that right here and right now. That's a downward mobility thing. We're talking about influencing with Jesus' influence, who <laughs> had all the influence in the world and took it to the cross and died for us, right? So we're not talking about gaining power so that you're awesome and that you're some some iron some, some spiritual iron man or something like that it's a it's an influence that gives and serves and builds up others so I want to say that right here on the spot can I underscore one thing on that especially churches that have a lot of programs whether you're using seeker believer follower leader or explore develop influence it's really easy to just oh yeah our programs fit into those categories boom I guess we're good to go and I just saying your question about no, is it actually get it done. does it get it done is what we is the more important question because it's it's easy to relabel um, oh, things right it, it is man it is or and to leave them as is like alpha alpha I can't think of a better explore tool but I know how to make it better exactly you know because it doesn't have scripture reading in it what's appropriate for that level you know yes what, what kind of interaction with scripture and engagement what about doing it with at least two other people they've got some of those elements in there but there are components of the IDE that are not yet in there and so the, can be added so there's two things you need to look at the steps and reevaluate where the programs fit in terms of these different phases of spiritual development and then you use the five ingredients of an IDE to honestly assess whether or not these are getting the job done. Those are two simple things. I want to share just one thing from the business world that radically messed me up and highly influenced the development of our process at, at, at Westside. The question one, what business are you in? And question two, how's business? I can't remember who it was that I learned that from, but what business are you in? Now, think about this from your church's perspective. What's our mission statement? That's the business that you say you're in. Now, you're also a part of another business that you're in. Then that's what you're actually accomplishing. Like what Andy Stanley says, I love how he says this, your, your, your systems are perfectly designed to get the results that you're experiencing. So what business are we actually in? What businesses our mission say that we're in? And then the question I would follow up with that is, is the business of your church in parallel with the Great Commission? Because if it's not, there might be another modification that you need to make. Yeah, you may have to actually go back and rediscover your mission. Right. But if our mission truly is in tandem and speaking of the same mouth of the Great Commission, then you've got to recognize, well, people are at different places in their spiritual journey. We've talked about Peter several times. When Peter uh, and Jesus first met, Jesus, you know, invitation was him with, was come and see. And then it was come and follow and come and die and then come and lead others, feed my sheep. So he worked them through these phases and it didn't happen in six weeks. You know, you don't learn to follow in six weeks. You don't learn to influence in six weeks. I don't want to follow the, the person who learned to influence in six weeks. That seems like a dangerous trail. But he was very intentional. What about it is needed to get the job done? I remember wondering when the church programs were all running, they're clicking. We probably had two or three dozen of them. And there would be these anomalies where it's like, wow. There's like a Jesus thing going on over there, you know, and they were, and people were becoming disciples who could make disciples. And I was like, man, why is it happening there? 
but not in these other 15. What is, and maybe you felt that, like maybe you're a listener and you've noticed like, man, this one particular small group or this one particular program, like what? And our best effort with the ingredients of the intentional disciple-making environment is basically three decades of experience, failure, theological reflection, experiments, iterations to say it's when these five things are mixed in at the appropriate levels that you see that, oh, there's a Jesus thing happening over there because we're learning how to partner with Jesus in the way he made disciples, which is never going to change. It's always going to be the same. And it's just our observations of this is how Jesus did it. This is how the early church did it. And I think every church leader, you'd have to agree with ours, but you better have those. Like what are your core theological convictions on what it takes to make disciples? And then you have to make sure that those are mixed in appropriately into every program. So programs aren't evil. That's not the point of this. Uh, no, hope you're no. not. Yeah. That's not the point of this because I, I think a program can be an IDE. Can I give you an example of one that's just fresh? I mean, rooted is one of those experiences. Yeah, it's a great one. That's a it's a huge one. And it's huge success. I've got friends calling me up. Have you ever considered this? Have you ever thought about doing this? And so you know, as I evaluated that program, what I saw there were a lot of the ingredients of the IDE. There's a lot of Bible engagement. There's other uh, you know biblical disciplines like fasting and prayer and and uh, the, and and accountability. I mean, all, there's a whole bunch of pieces in there. My question for anybody using Rooted isn't you know should you get rid of that? It's where does it fit? Where does it fit in the process? That should Rooted to me, uh, based upon my evaluation, looks like a fabulous entry level follower uh, experience. You know, it's only ten weeks long. Like our followers made us six months. That's a huge step. This is a 10-week commitment where you really do feel the power of the Spirit starting to guide and direct your life, which would create a hunger and a thirst for taking that to the next level. But if all we do is introduce people to life in the Spirit, you can't develop life-changing and lifelong habits in 10 weeks. It just will it will eventually fade out. It won't have the support and the undergirding. And you say, well, I'll just do Rooted again. So that's where that's why I think it's so critical to just look at where does this thing fit because things that valuable, you know, will even uh, fade over time. Yeah, I think a couple of things I'm hearing both of you say in light of the bigger conversation we're having for this week is not just about thinking steps wise, but really going back to season one, thinking through all of those ingredients. And the number one thing is what's the outcome? What is it that you're aiming for? And do the programs you have help you achieve that? Do you see a disciple made at the end? What's a disciple made? One that can make one that can make one. Are they formed in a way that they have the tools to go help somebody else move through whatever your stepswise process is, whether it's seeker, believer, follower, leader, or explore, develop, influence, or some other language that you're using? You have helped someone else go through a stepwise process that they have the tools and the conviction to help someone else walk through that process and along the way teach them how to do that with someone else so that it's reproductive, so that it's multiplicative in that way. So it's not just thinking steps-wise, it's also thinking, what's the end game? And do the programs that we have reach an end game? Like I think about all the programs that I've been a part of, whether it was, you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm a student now, so I'm a part of the student ministry you know, it's like, were there programs within that program that helped me move somewhere? I, you know, or did that help me move on to the next phase? Like, I, I think I have a lot of friends that 
you know, were student pastors or children pastors. And, you know, they, it's like, they would tell you like there, there was a certain longing in them that they knew. I don't know that these kids are ready for student ministry yet, or I'm watching these students graduate high school and they're not, they're not ready for the next thing yet, or that, that they're leaving because they weren't really formed towards anything. We just had something that they attended, you know, so constantly returning again and again to what is this achieving for this person? How is it forming them? How is it moving them to the next thing? And if a program's just something that they're consuming, I mean, that should be like at least yellow light number one to say, we got to tweak this thing. For sure. Another phrase, particularly for you educators that are out there listening to this podcast, um, basically what we're talking about here is a scope and sequence, you know, a scope and sequence. What is it that we're about and what is the sequence of events that we're going to guide people through in this curriculum in order to achieve a particular outcome in the education system? That is, how do we get them certain core understandings so that they can graduate, you know, according to the state standards that we have? And that's content focused. We're not developing competencies. It's different when you get into like a medical practice. This core competencies is that you can actually do a heart transplant and not kill someone in the process. So, but what are the core understandings and the core competencies and the core developmental evidences that we're after? And this goes back to, we're not content focused. Content is a tool to help accomplish what our outcomes. And let me come at these outcomes of character and calling from the highest level I can think of, if I'm reproducing a disciple that can multiply, then I need to be able to trust them and they need to have a sense of calling and purpose in their multiplication in order to have any impetus at all from their own soul from heaven to do it. I need to be able to trust them and they need to be motivated. Character is about developing Christ-like character, love, joy, peace, patience, kind, self-control, all the things you want in a leader. Why would I take the time to cultivate character? Because I want people that aren't going to flame out on me or themselves or their family. Why do they have, why do we have to develop calling? Because it's in developing calling that people feel like they've been recruited onto God's team. They're on the field. They're not in the stands anymore. They know they have a jersey on. They know that their name's on the back, and they know that God's name's on the front. And you can't push that into somebody. You can't nag. I like that description you use about nagging people, Rob, in, in previous episodes. Um, they have to be intrinsically motivated. And when, you, when people recognize what their top two or three gifts are, that they're from heaven, that God uses them to accomplish his purposes on the planet, and they sense that measure of significance, you don't have to tell them to multiply. They can't help but to multiply with that calling. What do we need more than people that we can trust fired up to multiply disciples? You know, what, what I love about IDEs is it's a way to enter into the, the mystery of what God's spirit is doing in someone's life. And that's, that's the wonder. That's the joy where someone is falling deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. And they're being infected by his joy, his love. And Ephesians three talks about how the love of God surpasses knowledge. And most of us as pastors have been trained to just be basically like knowledge vendors. Yeah. Knowledge vendors. And it's not that knowledge isn't important, but we're going for something that's like, it's trans knowledge, you know, like knowledge is a part of it, but we're that whole passage. Paul's talking about being filled with the fullness of God. That's the wonder. 
That's the mystery we want every single follower of Jesus to know. And I think if you're listening right now and you're reflecting on your life as a church leader, you can think of those people, those stories, you know, and it's why you do what you do. And how can we get to a place where that that becomes most of what we do? That's what Jesus is calling us to. And in the IDE is we don't want to make it sound like science. Right. It's an art. Because it is an art. Yeah. But it but those five ingredients are a very important way to start to wrap your heart and your head and your hands around the mystery of how Jesus fills people with his fullness. And that's worth giving our lives to. I will say this one last thing. The content-focused, programmatic approach in America has failed colossally. And we can't ignore that either. <laughs> Coming back out of the tender. <laughs> and, co- and COVID has basically just put an exclamation mark behind that. Yeah. So I also want to say, now is the time to change. Let's stop. Let's stop trying to dress up and put makeup on and put crutches underneath something that has failed and does not work (laughs) for sure you said explore develop influence are the steps that you use for dm we've got these four intentional disciple making environments do you want to talk about how those fit into that framework how that's a stepwise process yeah i'd love to to tackle that and can probably do it in less than three minutes we don't have a specific program, so to speak, or experience for the Explore category. Rob's going to talk about the last two here in a minute that talk about how we actually blow that thing out by multiplying missionaries. Uh, but um, let me start with followers made. It's a six month, it's a high investment. And um, I would put it at the end of the uh, develop category. You know, it's not explore, it's definitely develop, It's but it's in a higher level develop. And then from there, you could branch into one of two things. The last three that we're going to mention are all in the influence category. Leaders Made is a 12-month thing that basically helps continue to focus on developing character and calling for you as you start to lead people. Uh, missionaries Made is another place you can go, but let me hand the mic over to Rob to talk about Missionaries Made and Microchurch and how they complete the cycle. Yeah, missionaries made to me. It's it's on that line between develop and influence. And what we're doing is we're equipping people to know how to be really present in with love, with relationship, um, with service. It's a soul care emphasis as much as it's a missional emphasis within that experience. So that's why I think it fits more in the develop because I think most people that walk out of it would say. This developed my soul within the gospel framework more than it, not more than it helped me go be missional, but it's primarily about my own soul care first so that I can be more effective. Well said, man. That's it. So what happens is those people leave more filled with the fullness of God, but also with a higher level of clarity on where God has sent them and to whom God has sent them to be a blessing. And so most churches, when they're looking at the explore, develop, influence, uh, explore would be your weekend services, or it might be something like Alpha, or uh, we do these uh, community events, and those are all great. But the research is in, that's going to be reaching a smaller and smaller percentage of the population. They're just not interested in- COVID accelerated that. And COVID accelerated that. But- when you're raising up people who are living like loving missionaries where they live, work, learn, and play, that was really God's plan A from the very beginning. And that's what missionaries made 
does. It activates people as missionaries where God has already sent them. And then as they begin to go from small talk to meaningful conversation to spiritual conversation, they start planting the gospel and make new disciples. Well, then when you've got a new group of new disciples, we call that a microchurch. And, and now the church can be reproduced in these simple forms in every corner of culture, every sphere of society. And when you add that to the prevailing model of church, now we're talking about a real strategy for gospel saturation in a neighborhood or a city or a region. Yeah, so I just wanted to hit that real quick, if it's helpful to understand how we've thought through the intentional disciple-making environments we currently have and how they fit in a stepwise process. One question would be, yeah, why did you make that shift from seeker, believer, follower, leader to explore, develop, influence? Why was that the steps there? Why is that important for DM? Number one, people don't care for labels, but everybody can generally resonate with a verb. Yeah, I'm pretty much exploring, you know, or I'm, I'm pretty much developing, or I'm pretty much influencing. So that was one. Number two, Jesus did not have a category of believer that wasn't a follower. That is a product of, um, you know, the last hundred years evangelism strategy where we want to get people to believe, not necessarily become. And number three, most people do not associate themselves uh, with the word leader. That's more of a spiritual gift. They don't see themselves as leaders in their home necessarily, but they do see that they influence people. They influence their children. They influence people around them. And so for those primary reasons, that's why I made the, made the shift. So Brian, I know that you, you sit, uh, on that line, riding the line of, um, you want to like restore the church and and see health and wholeness there. You want to see, um, churches move more into, um, the fullness of what Jesus wants for the church. You also live in this innovation world. You want to see new things. Um, you want to start new things. You want to see new things come to life. Why don't you wrap us up today with a final thought on programs to intentional disciple-making environments? I, I regularly have a concern that people think that we are you know, anti-programs, anti-church, anti-these uh, other things. Put it all down, man! <laughs> So let me start that again. I always have this nagging concern that um, as we share IDEs and as we share the things that we're communicating a, a spirit of against when it comes to church programs and, you know, established church practices and things like that. And um, one of the things that's so critical for that I hope people understand is that we're all about leveraging things in order to accomplish the most important things like small group ministry. I don't throw small groups out. I encourage groups to keep or churches to keep their small group ministries in place, but just put it on the funnel. Where does it fit? And how does it help move people toward the ultimate great commission mandate uh, that we have? So that's a big deal. But in closing, let me say this. What's the difference, in my opinion, between a program and an IDE? This is going to get personal. Programs can be tools that you use to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Our programs can be tools that you use to grow your church. Now, let me say just quickly what I believe the difference is there. Programs keep people feeding on your spiritual refrigerator instead of having a home of their own where they are prepared to stock their own fridge to help people learn to eat and then have their own kitchen to serve others and you your programs can be things that you use to keep people 
connected to you and to your ministries. And if that's the case, I would say that that's beyond the great omission. I think that that is a significant commission of a violation of what Jesus had in mind. I know that's a very strong statement, but I hope you hear it, friends. We have been led to believe that the growth of the subculture called the church inside of a building at a certain address is the primary strategy for making disciples. And if you are convinced of that, just take some time to go back and study the history of movements, the history of the church in its earliest years. And it's actually the centralization of faith movements that squeezes the potential out. And if you're helping to facilitate that, Take this opportunity to allow this kind of a forced decentralization with COVID because others are coming. Remember, the whole premise of this series is being able to build what we build on the rock. And the rock's the gospel. But he says, Jesus says, put into practice. What are those practices <laughs> that are rock worthy so that when the storm comes that forces a decentralization, what is still in place? And so if, if it, it was so hard for me personally to realize that I was complicit in keeping people tethered to the church with my programs. And as soon as I quit seeing people as my people and seeing them as Jesus missionaries in training, then the freedom and the multiplication started, and it can for you as well. That's why we're here. And I really hope you come back for the next episode because you're going to get to hear from a very good friend of ours who, without any buildings, started with one IDE, and it multiplied to over 300 IDEs. So one group of disciple-making that in a relatively short period of time I think within three years, had multiplied 300 disciple-making groups in a decentralized movement. His name is Doug Paul. He's uh, one of the leading practitioners, in my opinion, on disciple-making. He's currently serving in an inner-city context and also one of the leading thought leaders on innovation in the church. Like, how do we make these transitions? How do we recreate ourselves? And very dapper. Yes. He's a very dapper individual. And, and a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun. See you next week. We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com.